Welcome to Health Matters with Laura Kopeck. I'm your host, Laura Kopeck, and today's episode is on a particular genetic variation called COMPT. That's the abbreviated way that we all refer to it. But let's go back a little bit. And first, let me introduce myself if this is your first time listening. I'm Laura Kopeck. I'm a traditional naturopath, functional practitioner, functional genomic specialist, podcast host, published author, life coach, health educator. I'm really passionate about helping people understand health at a fundamental level where they can kind of see through a lot of the overwhelming information that's out there and get to the heart of the matter in an understandable way. So welcome to today's episode. This and all my episodes are for informational purposes only. Okay, so kind of giving you a big picture, when nutrigenomic testing first came on the scene, we did refer to it as genetic testing. It just made something that was so radical and new to the conversation of preventative health easier to understand. But now that the conversation has gotten so big and genetic genomic testing has gotten so massive, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And then really there's a need to understand your own particular makeup and the difference between true genetic testing and genomic testing. Okay, genetic testing is what you go see a geneticist for that might determine if there is something like Huntington's disease. In school, we called it sufficient and necessary. That means when a genetic mutation is present, a person will 100% come down with that particular issue. Genomic testing is a little bit different. It's looking at your genes in terms of a risk assessment. So for example, if someone has the BRCA gene, right, this is the one we're most familiar with for breast cancer, it's not 100% guarantee that that person will come down with breast cancer. The influencing factors we refer to as epigenetics. That's the environment the cell is put in to perform optimally or less than optimally. And in all actuality, that makes up 70 to 80, sometimes more, the percentage of prevention and health necessary to address that gene. That's where things can get a little tricky. Okay, circling back around, we do get a particular, we get one copy of a gene from our paternal side and one copy from a maternal side. Not all genes are straight up inherited because the gene pool from our mother and father, because the gene pool is actually six people, your parents and grandparents. So you can't assume by looking at your particular genomic report that your genetic variation came from your father or your mother. Okay. We came up with the term early on in the conversation called mutation, but they're not really mutations. And again, since the conversation has gotten so popular, it's really misunderstood when we use the word genetic mutation to refer to a genetic genomic variation. SNP is another way that it was called in the beginning, and that stands for single nucleotide polymorphism or single nucleotide variation. Again, when the base pairs 
of ACGT are selected by your body to create the pairing, there's going to be a couple of the pairings that are known to work the most efficiently, and then some of the pairings will work less efficiently. And so when the gene works less efficiently, then there can be increased risk. Until the industry comes up with something called a polygenic risk score, where we can actually determine that variations, percentage of function or percentage of risk, then it's really a loose assessment. Somebody could have a variation, could have a SNP, and it account for 0.5% deficiency in function, where somebody else could have up to 30% lack of function. So that's a pretty widespread, which is why it's so important to determine not only your variations, but look at how they're performing in real time. Look at the inflammation, look at the stress, do functional testing, because to assume something based on a risk assessment really is inaccurate. The most popular genetic variation that is out there is called MTHFR. And because it's been around for a really long time in the conversation, it was probably the first genomic variation that was talked about because it could have affected fertility, could affect cardiovascular health, it could affect um, type 2 diabetes risk, thyroid. And essentially, what we're talking about is, again, a set of genes that participate in the way your body regulates nutrients, cellular communication, stress, and inflammation. So there's a lot of misinformation that's since developed mainstream about MTHFR, uh, one of which is something like, well, I can't do anesthesia or I can't fly. And basically, that's a really exaggerated sense of what MTHFR is. So technically, it's an enzyme. It stands for methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's an enzyme. And after your body extracts folate from your food as part of the digestive cycle, then in easy, easy terms, uh, there's a cellular conversion or absorption to help the nutrients regulate your body's health and wellness. And so what happens is MTHFR helps convert folate into L5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. <clears throat> and so when that is done, L5 helps partner with homocysteine, which is an amino acid, to regulate inflammation. And of course, you get even more benefits if, if you fully converted folate. And so homocysteine, when it elevates, because it doesn't have its partner to cross the street, basically, it's going to increase inflammation. And so really what I tell people, MTHFR, if you carry a single or two copy variation, you have greater risk for inflammation. And the clinical data says that that inflammation may hit you in the following areas, cardiovascular, fertility, glucose, thyroid. Some people even find that that risk for inflammation 
in their methylation cycle can make them gluten intolerant. And so what's really important is how do you manage the inflammation? If we take a risk, how do we manage the inflammation? And some of these risks don't guarantee any particular issue and the vice versa. You can have an issue without having a genetic issue. That's why it's so important to look at your health in real time and not assume that a genomic variation is going to create anything. Your efforts and diet and lifestyle amount to the most amount of influence you can have on your body. Okay, so let's kind of talk again, big picture. These particular genes are going to function primarily as an enzyme like MTHFR or as a receptor. Okay, another example where the risk assessment in genetic genomic testing can lead somebody to thinking they have a particular condition that either their practitioner uh, used it as a diagnostic tool and told them it was a diagnosis, or they believe that in the incorporating of information into their diet and lifestyle. Because again, there, this has gotten so popular that as things hit mainstream, and this is in any area, it, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So human lycosid antigens, there are at least seven that we've identified. So that's also a consideration is if your genomic report limits the amount of SNPs or genes that are being uh, assessed, you may not have enough information to really draw a good conclusion. Often uh, some of the human lycosid antigens are uh, grouped with risk for gluten in based celiac disease. So it is a, it participates in the immune system function. Clinical data over the years says it increases risk for celiac disease. If you test quote unquote positive for a genetic variation, it does not mean that you have celiac disease. Could you have celiac disease? Yes. But the genetic test doesn't reveal that. The genetic test is the risk assessment. Whether or not your body has developed that is uh, influential by other circumstances. For example, let's take three people. Person A has a genetic risk for type 2 diabetes, but they eat right and exercise, and they do not have type 2 diabetes. Person B does not have the genetic risk for type 2 diabetes, but doesn't eat right, has high BMI, and has type 2 diabetes. Because again, the greater risk is in the epigenetics, which is the diet and lifestyle. And then person C has the genetic risk and also doesn't eat right and care for themselves. Their risk is essentially greater because they've taken their genetic risk and compounded it with a diet and lifestyle risk. 60 to 80% of illness and disease has a nutritional component attached to it. We can take more responsibility in our prevention. 
And this also can get confusing when people talk about family history. They say, oh, well, you know, my mom had this, my dad had it, it's in our family, it's in our family history, it must be in our genes. And what's going on in that conversation is, oh, I, this is out of my control. And the most significant bit of misinformation we've been giving, given is that these genetic genomic variations are out of our control. Genetic mutations such as missing chromosomes, additional chromosomes, split chromosomes, things like Huntington's disease that are classified as sufficient and necessary, those are the things that are out of our control when we talk about genetics. Genetics that increase risk towards a particular illness and disease are well within our control. Uh, now, does that mean that sometimes there is something outside of our control that we can do nothing about? Yes, that is kind of the mystery of the human body and why some people that are super healthy come down with things. We are learning about genetics and genomics uh, rapidly, but I would say overall the field of nutrigenomics is still in its infancy. Okay. Let's get to the heart of what this episode is about, COMT. It stands for catechol methyltransferase, and it is a particular enzyme. Its primary function is to process dopamine, process estrogen. If you have been tested for COMT, what we're particularly talking about is COMT, catechol methyltransferase, sitting on the chromosomal location of V158M, and then the alleles AA or GG. When there are two matching alleles like AA, GG, it's called homozygous. If a person contains a single variation like AG or GT, then they are not in the full risk that people that have the double allele are. So that's the first confusion because people with COMT, V158M, double A or double G, again, that conversation has uh, become where we talk about it as comp T, but not everybody that has a single variation in comp T is going to be classified as comp T. If you work with somebody or you read that you that comp T makes you low in dopamine or high in dopamine, that is just not correct. Because this is a processing issue and you're at risk to process dopamine in a uncommon way, it's super important to understand what your body is doing. Is it really low in dopamine or is it high? To make an assumption can mean that a COMP-T individual may take a particular product or even medication that acts like gasoline to their already existing fire. So it's really important that you understand 
your own comp T. First of all, if you are heterozygous carrying a single mutation in the V158M, you are most likely not impacted the way that someone with a double allele of AA or GG is affected. Okay. There didn't used to be functional testing to look at dopamine and estrogen together in real time. Now there is, I'm happy to say, and it's one of my favorite functional panels that I use in my office to educate people. Because when I first started working in genomics, I started helping people with MTHFR long before it had mainstream and people didn't really know what it was. And I came across a type of individual. It amounted for about a small percentage. The percentage that they say is out there with homozygous CompTs is about 10, 10 to 20% of the Caucasian population. I would say pretty much about 5% of the people I came, came across um, that did genomic testing with me had this. And they were some of the most unique problems that weren't solved in the, in the traditional manner. So for example, somebody with CompT uh, might get insomnia when they take melatonin. They might have anxiety when they take um, a calming supplement. They sometimes I've heard of comp T's that might even have severe reactions to CBD. So even a natural product, and of course I've heard stories of comp T's that have had um, serious issues with, with medication. So, and it doesn't have to be anything that's going to directly affect dopamine and estrogen. What I came to realize with working with individuals with COMP-T is that there's another piece to the COMP-T puzzles, and that's the adrenal stress that a person with COMP-T is going through. So the clinical data says that individuals with COPT are at greater risk for things like anxiety and depression, ADD, uh, ADHD, insomnia, addiction, and a host of other things. Again, risk, not a diagnosis, but I do see individuals with COPT that struggle with a lot of these issues and have a really hard time getting to a solution. And the reason is, is that I believe that COMP-T in a particular way affects the body's fight, flight, or freeze response, okay? This is to just keep it in really simple terms. And this is my experiential uh, opinion based on working with these individuals for more than 10 years. So when the body's in fight, flight, or freeze, it can feel like a different kind of anxiety. And it also can affect the way a person is going to respond to medication, supplements, sometimes even food. A lot of CompTs call it the racing mind that they have just constant thoughts. Uh, racing, but they're also usually very intuitive, very intelligent. I don't think the body ever just creates a downside, especially in our genetic makeup. It creates a balance, if you will. So there's always the 
uh, benefit and the challenge associated with it. Now, the problem with the fight, flight, or freeze is that you have to tread lightly when you're going to take supplements or medication. I tell people with CompT to consider yourself potentially having a fight or adverse reaction to anything that you take. And so therefore you approach it with a great deal more caution. You can tell your doctor you might be um, sensitive to medication and you want the lowest dose possible to make sure you're not going to have an adverse reaction. And you don't necessarily have to talk about CompT. Your doctor may or may not understand CompT, but because you know your makeup, you know who you are, you can say that you just have found that you are much more sensitive, uh, chemically sensitive. It is going to impact the way that you respond to supplements as well. A lot of comp teas cannot tolerate a multivitamin. They cannot tolerate uh, B vitamins, especially methyl Bs. And so they have to be really careful and it has to be approached in a very strategic way. Again, the neurohormone functional panel that I do looks at adrenals in terms of cortisol so we can look at some of the real-time fight or flight, looks at neurotransmitters so we can look at dopamine, uh, look at how the body is engaged in terms of a stress response, and again, looking at that estrogen. It's definitely really important to understand these pieces because you're, if you take straight up your own assessment or your own, or um, a, a, a place where somebody's misguiding you, you, know, you can begin to feel super frustrated taking a bunch of supplements that, that don't seem to have any benefit or don't really work, or you're still uh, running yourself in circles trying to find the right solution, or nobody understands you, uh, understands your body, uh, it can get pretty frustrating and pretty overwhelming and pretty defeated uh, right away. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to talk to directly to you. If you have comp T, Again, when I say that, I mean if your COMT V158M contains risk allele AA or GG, if you have this and you don't feel understood or you don't feel that you're at the top of your game or optimal in health, you might want to revisit with an understanding that your comp team means you could be in, uh, in a stress response to your medication, to your supplements, and you may need to revisit those. And in addition, I ask CompTs to rotate certain things because they may start out in a beneficial state where they're not responding with fight, flight, or freeze, but then it wears the body down. There's a lot of again, cellular communication and a cellular intellect, and it may just decide that it's done getting the benefits. 
So that's also pretty tricky too, because you may have found that you've been doing fine and you, and you're doing really well. So it can't be your supplements because they benefited you so strongly in the beginning. It can't be your medicine because they benefited you so strongly in the beginning. But the fact is, is that with this um, stress response that gets associated in real time with comp T, the benefits of some of your supplements or medications may be wearing off. And that is a common and, if you will, normal part of having comp T. But if you don't understand that, if you don't understand your uh, genomic makeup, you may feel like, you know, what what's wrong with me and, and why can't I get well and, you know, keep adding supplements because you assume that the ones that were uh, working in the past are still necessary. It's a very confusing um variation that kind of can affect the whole body, not just the way that your dopamine and estrogen are processing. So if you fall into this category and don't know your comp T, you may struggle with racing mind, with attention issues, feel like you might struggle with addictive behavior, and feel like you struggle with sleep, get tired of, of taking things because they don't seem to work. Like if you feel you're so misunderstood with optimizing your health, you might want to take a look at your genomic makeup. There's a complete functional panel I do out of my office that just we can add MTHFR and COMPT to it. You don't have to spend money on a full genetic panel to get that information. It's almost like you tag it to another, to an epigenetic panel, which is going to be of more value to you in the end. And genetic testing is great, but really what we want to look at is epigenetics. So um, if you don't have your 23andMe raw data, if you don't have an existing genetic test, uh, and you're interested in somebody that could look at your epigenetics and consider whether or not you have COMPT, then uh, you might want to consider scheduling an appointment with me. I have virtual in-person appointments. You don't have to live in the state, don't have to do an in-person appointment. But I do believe that COMPTs are very, very misunderstood. And the strategies that are put in place for them um, are not always in alignment with CompT. And if I can teach you through this podcast or teach you in an appointment that fundamental education about your own body so you can navigate it in uh, a healthy and appropriate way with your doctor, with your um, therapist, with your spouse, partner, anything to help you understand what you're going to, how you're hardwired, how you're going to respond, what your risks are, what you're going to be predisposed to, and then how you navigate your health on an ongoing basis to accept who you are and be the best version of yourself you can possibly be. Okay. I've come to really feel very strongly that we need better information, more understandable information in a way that we can really take charge of our health and make choices uh, where we feel empowered with the right, the best knowledge possible. I do think CompT is 
highly misunderstood. And I think there's a lot of confused individuals out there or confused parents uh, with trying to help their children, wherever it is, wherever you're coming from, um, there is a place where you can start to be understood. I hope this episode was helpful that you can begin to understand what I think is the most misunderstood nutrigenomic SNP single nucleotide polymorphism variation, the COMP-T. This episode is for informational purposes only. I hope you find value in it, and I hope you join me again for another episode of Health Matters with Laura Kopeck. Thank you.